Good evening. It is 5 p.m. on Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024, and you're tuned in to CFRC 101.9 FM, broadcasting from Carruthers Hall on Queen's campus in Kingston, Ontario. I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist, Christina Laurie, and you're listening to Kingston Currents. CFRC's news programming is brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and the Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. In the next half hour, CFRC's Chloe Paris sits down with members of Queen's Musical Theatre to talk about their currently running production of Prom. Next, we sit down with a member of Queen's Students vs. Cuts to discuss the latest updates regarding the Queen's budget crisis. Queen's Musical Theatre kicked off their production Prom with their opening night on Friday. CFRC's Chloe Paris sat down with actor Kate and vocal director Maria to chat about the show. Here is just a bit of their conversation. Hello, this is Chloe Paris, and you're joining me here with Kate and Maria from the musical theater production of Prom. Hi, guys. Hi. 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 This is so exciting. So I have a couple questions for you guys. How did it feel when it first was announced that Prom was going to be um, the musical for 2024? And um, if you could tell me a little bit about how that decision was made and if you had any influence or, yeah, tell me your thoughts. Um, so our director, Noah, was the one who picked the show, and then what happened was we had interviews for every other member on the team, so myself as vocal director and our choreographers, and then once the team was established, that's when we announced the show for people to come audition, and there was a huge list of people that wanted to come, and it was really great to see so much engagement and just people that wanted to be involved with it. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh. I know for me, I only knew the movie The Prom, which is very different from the stage musical. So I was a little apprehensive at first when I found out what it was. But after working with the script, it is just such a beautiful show. It makes me cry every night when I'm backstage yeah. listening to it. It's such a beautiful story. It's awesome. It's awesome to hear that you guys like have so much passion and you guys feel so so good about like this because it's really it is important that you like the work that you're doing mm-hmm. and because that's how you put all this emotion into it, you know? So you have previously heard of this through the movie. Maria, had you previously heard of this or? Yeah, I had never seen the film. I had actually just seen clips of like the stage version. I had listened to the cast recording. And so that's why it like instantly rang a bell and I was like, oh my God, okay, this is gonna be great. And I feel like I had a lot that I could give to the show. So that was really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So Kate, could you tell me a little bit about your character, Dee Dee? Was she your first choice that you wanted to play, or was there another one? So uh, Dee Dee Allen is a two-time Tony Award-winning Broadway <laughs> actress, so very big shoes to fill for me. Um, because I was pretty unfamiliar with the show, I wasn't quite sure who I wanted to go for, mm-hmm. so I came in with a couple different offers, and I immediately after the audition was asked to read for Dee Dee. Wow. And I read the lines and I immediately went, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. This is her. So I instantly switched. I started focusing everything into Dee Dee and it ended up working out because I got cast as her. And she's such a fun, big character Mm -hmm. to play. Wow. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about the audition process? Was it song, dance, monologue? Yeah, we were asked to bring in two contrasting songs uh, for our original audition and then we would read a little bit of the script in the room and then we got called back for different characters where we got to read more sides more parts <laughs> of the script and uh, prepare songs from the show in character and also did a dance call okay wow that's, that's a lot to yeah. Yeah. long days long days so when you say contrasting songs was do you find like your character in the show has a lot of like slower songs or more upbeat songs that you had to kind of know how to do this range of music basically? I think um, my character definitely has a lot of production numbers. Okay. There's never a slow moment for her <laughs> in the show. She's always running around singing really loud, really high, going, going, going. But there is a really nice arc for her throughout the show where she starts a little bit more all about me. Everything is like, look at me literally. go. Right. Literally. Yeah. She, one of her first big songs is It's Not About Me. But And as she kind of transitions through the piece, she softens up and has a little bit more humanity to her. And Love that to kind of shows through her songs. That's awesome. 
Um, and for you, Maria, for folks who aren't familiar, what is your role as vocal director? So as a vocal director, I basically get to make all the creative decisions in terms of how uh, the style will be presented musically. Um, and I work in collaboration with our music director, Michael, who is more with the band and then as opposed to me, who's with the actors. And so as a vocal director, you teach all the music to the soloists and to the ensemble. You work with everyone one-on-one. -on -one. You have to teach yeah. them all of the lines, yeah. make sure it sounds good, yeah. make sure we're like, doing the same thing. So well. a huge thing that I do is I teach mm -hmm. all the harmonies and I make sure that they're really crisp and everything sounds clean and neat and just the cast is amazing. Like it sounds really professional. Like I'd be comfortable putting them in a cast recording right now. Like wow. they sound really, really great. Ugh. Yeah. So have you done any work like this before or is this all kind of new to you? Yeah. So when I uh, was in SLC, other shows that I did, um, I was the vocal captain. So I was like an aide to the music director, but this is my first time being in charge. Yeah, as a wow. vocal director. So it's been an amazing experience and I couldn't be more grateful for it. Wow. So how have you found this process of you being in charge versus you just kind of being one of the one of the members on the team? Oh, I love it. And yeah. I would love <laughs> to keep doing this like for other QMT shows, other shows at Queens. It's a really great experience. And the payoff is getting to watch the show mm -hmm. and see everyone's work just come together and be come this to amazing life. thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's awesome. You both sound really passionate about your roles, which is yeah. Yeah, awesome to <laughs> awesome to hear for a production because, you know, sometimes when you're in theater, people you'll just get a role and it's like, oh, I got I got this and I'm just doing it but it's great to hear that you're passionate about the thing that you're in <laughs> so do you do a lot of like research into the production when it when you like heard that it was announced that it was the prom did you start deep diving and yeah for sure a lot of deep diving read the script like three times because you you realize something new every time you definitely read it. yeah listen to different recordings um and that's another thing, not pushing the actors to want to sound like the recordings is a big thing and wanting them to sound like themselves as these characters was something that I was really advocating for. Mm. And a lot of actors made new choices that I really, really liked. We did different like off-tops, some riffs in there that aren't originally there. And I think it's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, are there a lot of different variations of this or was there kind of just that one film that you could like access easily or could you watch a bunch of different different performs like of this yeah. show well there are a lot of youtube clips of songs so you can watch like illegal videos from like broadway productions right. or you can watch you know like schools doing it, community theaters doing it i know a local community theater from where i'm from in montreal just recently did a production of the prom okay so you know and it's always going to be something different and i think it's good to open yourself up to hear all those different definitely interpretations yeah. definitely not just hear one specific yeah. one because then you want to sound like that one. exactly yeah but if you listen to a bunch of different ones they all kind of mesh together and then that helps you develop your own style definitely it might also like see oh maybe i don't like this one maybe maybe i think i'm going to go this mm -hmm. new way with it that's that's yeah. really awesome um i know maria and i had a conversation early on when we started learning vocals for Dee Dee because the woman who played her on Broadway, Beth Lovell, Broadway veteran, like she's been mm -hmm. in everything and she's amazing, but she's an older woman with a matured voice and I just turned 20 and I am not a Broadway yeah. star. So we <laughs> talked about not trying to mimic what she's doing because I don't sound like Beth Lovell. It's not better or worse. It's just we have different. two completely different voices because of age and because of how we were raised and because of everything because yeah. I'm my own mm -hmm. person yeah so that helped a lot to kind of separate from trying to mimic the recording because we don't have that same quality so why would I try and recreate yeah, it exactly and once you put in the choreography and the acting and learn more about the character like I've discovered more about my Dee Dee's voice and how she screams a lot of the time <laughs> instead of talks so and yeah, like, tell like me, growls yeah tell me a little bit more about your Dee Dee so she screams she growls what is <laughs> there's a line that um a character barry says after a very dramatic point for her in the show where he says she's a very passionate woman <laughs> and i think that really sums her up she's very big and look at me and like wah, 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 yeah. sings high and loud all the time and i i don't know why but i i loved the idea of of adding like growls into singing and like kind yes. of that roughness around the edges mm -hmm. but still very polished and still very like 
I decided to do that. I yes. wasn't like, oh, someone It was my it was choice like, to. Ah, like, yes. look at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm big and bold. You should be a little bit scared of me. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Everything is so planned out and, like, intentional. Every growl, like, everything you do was just, like, it's a choice mm-hmm. and it happens and it's consistent and it's just so great. <laughs> oh. Do you find that, um, so you got the script, you read it over. Did you find, like, when you were reading over, you're like, hey, can I say this or can I do this movement? Did you have a lot of say in what you did or... Was it more like, okay, I will work with what I've got and and kind of fine-tune it to my abilities? I know uh, Noah, our director, really opened up a really good rehearsal room and space for us where he wanted us to give offers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I read the script and I would get like images in my head of, oh, I think this is how I would say it and this is how I want it to sound. But then when you get in with other people, they also have offers and they start delivering things differently. So you have a lot of space to play there, which is really good. And I obviously had an idea in my head, but I think it's changed and developed as we went on. But I think everything is really solid now. Right, because you can build kind of off of each other too and and have that collaboration. And since this is all, like, as you mentioned, it's a Mm -hmm. student-run production, um, do you guys all find that your voices are all heard kind of equally? Or or would you say there's... There's, there's definitely higher-ups that, that have the final say? or mm-hmm. Well, there's definitely a lot of... Um, I forgot my word. Mesh? What is it? Cooperation? Cooperation. cooperation. <laughs> there's a lot of cooperation, and like I said, a lot of opportunity for us to give offers. Obviously, the people in charge of their section, so like the choreographers get the final say of what goes in the dances, so right. I can offer, can I do this? And that might be, that's a great idea. I don't think that will fit here. Perfect boom, everything is very respectful, mm-hmm. or we give an offer and they say, I like that more. Best idea in the room wins. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and that's the way I liked to run, like, vocal rehearsals as well. When people would have solos, we would have a one-on-one session, and I would always start off by having them sing what they prepared first to see what they offered, and then we'd go in and do some fine-tuning and then have new discoveries together and see, okay, what would make this better like what enhances this moment that's a great way to do it too Mm -hmm. because then you kind of see like okay this is what i'm working with and this is this is what they're supposed to be doing yeah let's mesh those two together that's awesome so did you kind of have a vision um maria did you (laughs) kind of have a vision going into how you wanted it to sound or did you did you know like yes these are the songs but let me just let me see with the crew i got and kind of that's how I'll form it. I think the way that I discovered what I wanted the sound to be was through auditions and callbacks and seeing when I would hear someone sing a certain song, whoever, whichever character popped into my mind, and then I could see them doing that and the different possibilities of that. Like when Kate came in, (laughs) I, she was screaming Dee Dee like from her audition, you know? And so then that kind of changed my image of, you know, what is Dee Dee like? Because the idea that you have of Dee Dee mm-hmm. is like an older woman, because that's how it's usually cast, because that's how the story implies it, you know, but obviously right. at Queens... <laughs> don't it, have a 50-year-old woman. We, we right. don't have 50-plus-year-old <laughs> <laughs> people auditioning, but yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of how that process was for me, at least, yeah. Okay, that's really awesome. So I was wondering if you both could give me some insight onto what happens behind the scenes and how has the road been to like opening night? For example, like maybe your process on remembering lines, songs and dances or dealing with nerves kind of thing. Uh, This is the first time for me in a while that I've had a lead role and so much material to learn and a lot rides on me knowing what I'm doing. So there's been a lot of late nights of rehearsing with other cast members and Maria and our choreographers and our director and also being at home recording other people's lines and then listening to it and putting my own words in there, trying to learn desperately everything. But I think it's all paying off and Mm -hmm. we have such a good support system that everyone knows what they're doing now and everyone's so supportive with everyone that we can rely on each other. So would you say a lot of people have quite a bit of experience in theater or or you have some newbies that are just kind of learning how to... Yeah, a lot of mixed levels. Like we have a lot of people that have worked professionally outside of Queens and then we have some people that this is their first show and everyone is just really excelling and like seems that they're really in their element, which is nice. Like 
everyone's helping each other out. That's and great. by this point, we're all so immersed in the show. We all know every harmony, every line, just because we've been doing this for so mm-hmm. long. We started in September, so. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Could you tell me a little bit what the relationship is like with the cast? So you kind of kind of touched on that, but I was wondering if there was like any moments you had, um, any favorite moments you had while prepping for the show, and um, any moments you had maybe directing the vocals for the show. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So I really love when we do our rehearsals with everyone in the room. My favorite part was always doing um, ensemble vocals because we were all together and it's so nice to hear everyone um, work together. The cast is amazing. Like we're all really, really tightly knit and really good friends. And our stage manager has like this section on our um, rehearsal report that says memories and it's full Cute. of inside <laughs> jokes and just like fun Aww. times that we had. You know, like obviously we get our work done, but it's fun. Yeah, and you gotta have fun with it. Yeah. Theater. You wanna have fun. Oh, definitely. That's exactly what we're doing. We oh. had an inside joke that turned into a vocal warm up that it's we do true. every oh. night. Yeah. yeah. Can so, you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. There's a character <laughs> named Trent Oliver who uh, comes into a scene very carsick and he says, I vomited on the bus. And uh, the actor Lucas came in one day and said, I vomited on the bus again, very crisp. (laughs) And we started just saying, I vomited on the bus, I vomited on the bus. And And Maria turned it. (laughs) I turned it into a warm up. I turned it into, I just said, how about this, uh, today we try a new warm up. And then I just taught them this arpeggio. I vomited on the bus. bus. That's awesome. (laughs) We do it every night. It's the last warm up we do before everyone goes on stage. That's so fun. (laughs) Oh, what a great cast (laughs) it sounds like you guys have. Um, did you go into this knowing anyone? Did you, or I guess you, okay, did you kind of audition with any friends? Did you get together with anyone and be like, hey, let's, let's do this. I want to audition. Or was this something you've always been like, hey, I, I'm at Queens. I know they have like a good theater program. So, yeah. I mean, it was a mixture of both. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, I'm majoring in music theater. So hearing that right. <laughs> Queens has a musical theater club, I was instantly going to audition. And I was with all of my friends the entire time. A lot of familiar faces going into the room. I read with a lot of them during callbacks. I was in the dance calls with them. A lot of my friends ended up getting cast, which was really great. So we get to walk to rehearsal together and debrief after and work together (laughs) on lines. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's super helpful. Yeah. Um, I mean, on our team, the two choreographers that we work with both went to school with me previously. So it was nice to have them on the team. And it was kind of all of our first experiences doing this together. So we're all learning together. And then, of course, we cast a lot of our friends that are in our program. And then, Mm. I mean, we're all friends by now. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone here just wants to make friends. Nobody's going to. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So you've obviously probably done musical theater before. Yeah. Have you done university theater before? So I did a couple shows at St. Lawrence College, but it was very different because it wasn't students involved in the production of it. It was just student actors and then people who work at the Thousand Islands Playhouse. We had a couple professors like Joe Pagnin and... uh, Mark Hunt were here, or made sets for all of our shows. Mm -hmm. So we had full professional teams doing it. And then coming here, you're seeing all these students work behind the scenes, being directors, being technical directors, building things, like running around. And it is insane seeing the difference and seeing how professional it still looks and how everyone is. Um, But this is my first student-led production and I'm having the time of my life. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, as soon as like I came to Queens, I knew that this was something that I wanted to do because I knew that all of the clubs are mostly entirely student ran. And so I really wanted to put myself in that position. And it's been so cool to to work with just all of our peers. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's really awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love it too, how like everything's like run by students. Like mm-hmm. I know my housemate is big on clubs too and she's always advertising and getting the message out there I'm like yes love to see <laughs> love to see it yeah. so that's awesome I have kind of a deeper question so this musical delves into some pretty heavy topic matters such as discrimination on the LGBTQ plus community and I was wondering if you could speak to your experience portraying these themes on stage I think it's definitely very challenging as an actor um, my character isn't directly involved with that so I get a little bit of a break. She mm-hmm. gets like she ends up being part of it, but um, I know my friend Nicole, who plays Emma, who is the girl who everyone is bullying. 
that's a really big task to try and tackle as an actor. And she does amazing being mm -hmm. able to separate it and also portray it super sincerely on stage. Like we get people coming up saying they were crying the entire yeah. time, but it's so important to be able to separate yourself from the character, especially if you're also one of the bullies or one of the people who are being awful. <laughs> Yeah, that's something really important to be able to separate like actor from mm -hmm. character and having to tap out of scenes when your character is going through something really emotional. And so we've had a lot of work to um, be able to really separate those and know that it's just, just part character. of the plot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you speak to the importance of Queen's Musical Theatre choosing a play with these themes at the forefront? Is it something that you find super important that you know, you're you're performing this, you're you're putting this message out there. It's not just, yes, it's for fun, and yes, I want to showcase my abilities, but also I'm I'm putting out a message out there. Yeah. Did you did you kind of think about that going into it, or? For sure, yeah. I think that there are a lot of different stories being told by different characters and that have different life experiences, and it's important to share those stories with an audience. And I hope that everyone is able to take away those messages when they watch the sh when they watch the show. Yeah, definitely. Because Queens is so diverse too. You, yeah, it's it's so great that you guys are able to like speak to such a large large group of people and and get that message across. So that's awesome, and do it in a fun and fantastic. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome. Um, so what kind of do you want the audience to take away from this musical? Um, is there any themes in particular, or do you just want them to be like ah? That was freaking great. That was awesome. I mean, I think the major theme is you just need to be the most authentic version of yourself always. And mm. also, I think a lesson that the, the divas <laughs> learn, the, the characters like Dee Dee and Trent and Barry, is that sometimes you need to put other people ahead of yourself and just act selflessly. And in the end, it pays off. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um without giving too much away, are there specific moments from this musical that you hope will resonate with the audience? Oh, yeah. I There's a song in Act 2 called Unruly Heart, mm -hmm. um, which is Emma's kind of plea to the world, almost. She's kind of putting herself out there and saying, this is my story. And all these people start popping up all over the world. I think it goes up to 6 million people have seen this story now. Mm -hmm. And it is just a heart-wrenching moment, but it is so beautiful seeing all these people being seen and talking about how they don't feel accepted, but now they've found a family almost with mm -hmm. her story. And I hope that resonates with people that there are other people out there to support you and mm -hmm. you are loved and you are wanted and you are who you are. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great message. Yeah. Oh, your preview, that was last night? Yes, was last, last night. night. Yeah. Okay, how was that? Tell me how was Oh How'd it go? God. It was amazing. It was so beautiful to watch it. I was sitting front and center, and I was so proud of oh. everyone's work. We were all sitting together, the director, the producer, and we just kept looking at each other and just sharing our feelings silently, yes. like, oh, my God. Like, Seeing this is all your happening. hard work, it yeah. paid off. In front of an audience, too. Yeah. It was the first time we had a full audience. It was sold out. Yesterday wow. was sold out. Tonight is sold out. Tomorrow Tomorrow's sold out. Wow. So, you have got to get your tickets soon. Yeah. 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 The whole guys, get your, you get get your tickets. tickets. We run until the 28th. 28th, yeah. guys, come on. <laughs> it was so great having an audience for the first time, especially with so many comedic bits. Like, obviously, it's a, it's a great story with a great mm -hmm. message. But it is still a comedy. It's also, a at the end of the day, show. it's very funny. And running this since November, December, like full run throughs, the jokes stopped getting reactions out of the prod team and out of not the people who have seen it. Not from Maria. <laughs> I laugh every time. Yeah. It's never not funny to me. Well, <laughs> having an audience for the first time, best audience I've ever had, first of all, super wow. energetic. And they mm -hmm. were laughing at things I didn't even realize were funny. And we got applause upon just entering at the beginning of the show. Yes. I walked on stage, had a big applause. Yes. Every number had like a two minute applause at the end of it. It was that energy from the crowd just like fed us. Oh, and it definitely. was so beautiful. I mean, if you're in a, if you're in a, like performing in front of people that are just silent, you're, you're going to be awful. like, did I, did I do something wrong? <laughs> yeah. like, shoot, I've been practicing. It's a relationship. If the audience gives yeah. us something, we'll give it back even better. And definitely. it just keeps building. Yeah. yeah. So you guys hear that. It's going to be a great time <laughs> for both you and the cast. Uh, so how are you feeling heading into opening night? You had such a successful like first night. Mm -hmm. Is that, 
is that kind of helping your nerves or kind of making it, oh, I got to live up to what we did last night? <laughs> I think it's uh, it's definitely good that we got one, for lack of better terms, over with in a way. Like we, <laughs> we did it. It was our preview. But now it's also opening. And that yeah. feels like a lot of pressure. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever stop being nervous <laughs> about starting a show and going on stage as so much weird. as I do it. But I'm, I'm excited. Yes. I think the nerves turn it into excitement and energy. And yeah. I have really high hopes. I think it's going to be a really, really good show. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it like 20 times by now for <laughs> all the run-throughs, but like every time I still get excited to watch it and I still look forward to certain numbers. Like I know that people are always looking forward to You Happen, Love Thy Neighbor. Those are like the big ones. Yeah, really fun stuff. Are there any kind of things you do in preparation? Like any specific little like song you'll do to like hype yourself up or or <laughs> what's that? what's that process like to... Get yourself out there. We've started in my dressing room uh, a playlist. Okay. So we've started like putting on all these like early 2000s hits and Love. we just like get up and we're like dancing and we're rapping and we're singing with it. Some Rihanna, I'm hoping. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. We also have some Nicki Minaj. We have <laughs> some Backstreet Boys. Oh. Like a little back in the 90s. Got a little bit of everything. That. Just getting our energy up, getting excited and hyped. And then we go backstage when they call places and the um, overture starts. So the band starts playing before anyone comes on stage. And all of us are dancing. We're like playing with the yes. drums and we're just, mm -hmm. energy is up. Oh, that's awesome to hear. <laughs> so I was just kind of curious, is this kind of the only show you do a year? Kiranti does two shows per year. They do one starting in the fall sem semester and then one in the winter semester. And the winter one is going to be announced very soon, I believe. So if you're interested in joining this very nice family of musical theater lovers, mm -hmm. then keep your eyes out on the Instagram for the reveal. Awesome. Hopefully it'll be soon. Yeah. And one of our cast members is actually going to be the director. Yeah, the actress that plays Mrs. Green is Next Semester's director. She's so excited, and she's going to do an amazing job. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay, so I actually have some more questions that Go just came yeah. to me. Um, how how does one, like, get into doing this? And also, what is the time commitment if one wanted to do this, but also was thinking about school, and, and that's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know... Um, Tech week, so the week that we are doing all the technical elements of the show, testing the lighting, testing the sound, doing our entrances and exits and yeah. all of that fun stuff, that's when the time commitment gets really intense. We leave Theological Hall midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. sometimes <laughs> wow. this week, yeah. then go to your 8.30 the next morning. Oh so God. it's a lot sometimes, but for the most part for the rehearsal process, it's relatively light and things are scheduled around you. So okay. if you have classes or you work or you have any other commitments, the stage manager will place rehearsals wherever they fit. And it's not it's not too much of a commitment until the end. Yeah, it's relatively flexible throughout the process. It's just you, like that tech week. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's the your schedule. Part. Yeah. But, yeah. So would most of the rehearsals be, I guess it's different for a main character versus um, not a main character. Mm -hmm. But for you, Kate, would you find that most of your rehearsals are one-on-one -on -one or with um, a partner? Most of the time it was uh, with a partner or multiple people. The only one-on-ones I really had were with Maria because my uh, solo songs were just me. So uh, yeah. I would work with her a lot. Um, but most of the time I would be with the group that we've been referring to as the Divas, who are the Broadway stars. That's who I spend most of my time on stage with. So I'd usually be with them or I'd be with uh, the romantic interest of my character, Mr. Hawkins, uh, and I do a lot of work with other people. So I wasn't really alone ever in this process, which is really great because mm -hmm. I've made really, really close friendships out of it. That's the divas great. hang out outside of oh. rehearsal all the time, and it's, it's really great. That's awesome. So for anyone who kind of doesn't have any musical theater experience or any prior experience being on stage, how would, how would you say you, um, like Queen's Musical Theater does with that is... Is it really well suited for newbies? Do they do they make it easy? Or would you suggest having a bit of background knowledge? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we have some people that have never even done a show before that are in our cast. And I think the main thing is if you want to audition, all you need is passion and like loving of music and dance and acting. That's that's all it really comes down to. It, you know, willing to learn. That's a huge part of it. And wanting to put in the work. 
and and I think from there you can do anything really awesome so guys get out there come audition (laughs) there's a new there's a new play you guys come on you don't need any experience just passion yeah Yeah. and energy and energy (laughs) do each of you have either a favorite song dance scene for you Kate that you're most excited to perform and for Maria that you kind of directed Mm mm-hmm I think the highlight of every night is uh, my solo in Act 2, The Ladies Improving. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a reference to a show that Dee Dee did when she was younger, and she's trying to win someone back doing that number, and Grayson, who choreographed it, uh, did an amazing job, and it is so... I'm out of breath every night. <laughs> I'm running around, and then I have to sustain a really high note mm-hmm. for a really long time, but it is always the highlight of the show. I always can't wait until Act yeah. 2. Yeah. And you do an amazing job. Thank you. I I have my three favorites because I'm so indecisive, but they're all different genres. <laughs> and that's a really cool thing about the show, too, is that there's so many different genres of music in this, like, contemporary style. So it's Changing Lives, which is more of, like, the Broadway style. Then You Happen, that's kind of like a pop number. Okay. And then Love Thy Neighbor, which is, like, the gossip <laughs> one. So those are, like, my three favorites, and they're all huge, like, ensemble involvement as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really great to hear. It sounds like you guys have a lot of passion towards this project. Um, it sounds like you can also kind of relate to it, even if it's not about the specific topics that you're discussing. I feel like everyone can relate to, yeah, I'm not always feeling included, or yeah, sometimes life doesn't go my way, and it's about the people that support you. It's about also supporting yourself, and, and this sounds like it's a great message, and, and it's a fun time. It sounds very... It's like a diverse musical. Like yeah. there's so much going on. Yeah. Like covers a lot a, of ground. Yeah, yeah a gospel yeah, song. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's crazy. <laughs> oh, so so you kind of found that all like it just all went seamlessly because it was kind of all in the same same kind of theme of of love and respect and and mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. Totally. Well, anything else to add? Any any final little notes? Anything you want the audience to hear before going into this or? Yeah, I mean, get your tickets. Get your uh, tickets. Selling fast. Yeah, you Don't can miss find it. them um, on our website, or you can go to our Instagram page, which is Queen's Music Theatre, uh, and then click the link in our bio, and you can buy your tickets. Oh, well, this has been so awesome and so fun. Oh, I can't wait to see it, hear about it, listen to the music, talk to you guys after. Um, get your tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Okay. Well, thank you guys so, so much. Thank, thank you. you so much for having oh, us. Of course. Once again, that was Chloe Paris sitting down with Kate and Maria with Queen's Musical Theatre to chat about prom. Still running until January 28th. To hear the full interview, be sure to head to our podcast network, podcast.cfrc.ca, under Kingston Currents, January 23rd, 2024. To get your tickets to prom, you can head to queensmusicaltheatre.ca. Before we get into more local news, I'm going to throw it back to Chloe with our CFRC weather and traffic report for this evening. This is Chloe Paris coming in with your CFRC weather and traffic report for Tuesday, January 23rd. This evening, there will be periods of snow and a low of minus 1. There is a risk of freezing drizzle overnight that will amount to 5 centimeters. Winds will be up to 15 kilometers per hour and wind chills of minus 6. Now it's time for your CFRC weekly traffic report. Please note that the winter parking ban is in effect. Motorists are advised that overnight on-street parking is not permitted during the months of January and February. For road closures, University Avenue, Union to Earl, is closed until May 29th for the removal of debris from demolition and concrete deliveries at the Queen's John Dutch University Centre project. In other delays, Queen Street, Montreal to Sydenham, expect an eastbound lane closure until April 1st, 2024. Detours will be in place for the duration of the lane closure. That's all for your January 23rd weather and traffic report. Now I'm throwing it back to Christina with more local news. Thank you, Chloe. Discussions surrounding the Queen's budget cuts continue as Provost Matthew Evans and Dean Barbara Crow made an appearance at the last Queen's Arts and Science Undergraduate Society meeting. And a special Senate meeting was held last week to discuss the topic. 
While Evans and Crow were in attendance at the ACES meeting, not much new information was divulged as questions from students remained unanswered. Evans often redirected ArtSci-related questions to Dean Crow, and Crow declined to answer, stating that there would be another opportunity in the future to ask questions. At Wednesday's special Senate meeting, Provost Evans presented some new figures to members of the Senate, stressing the role of the Faculty of Arts and Science in spending. After Monday and Wednesday's meetings, Queen's Students versus Cuts, a group of students and members of the Queen's community that have been speaking out regarding the cuts and the lack of transparency from the university since November, made posts criticizing the narrative being pushed regarding the role of arts and science in the deficit, and expressed their disappointment in the lack of discussion at the ACES meeting. Ethan Shilcott, one of the members of Queen's Students versus Cuts, sat down with CFRC after last week's events to talk about Queen's Students versus Cuts and the recent developments in the discussions surrounding the Queen's budget crisis. Start us off, Queensy Students versus Cuts has been, I would say, a lot of people, especially students, main source. You've gathered a lot of information since the story broke. What are the objectives behind this page and the reasoning behind stepping up to get this content out to students? Primarily, it's an information page. The organization is almost its own separate thing. Um, we just, we all feel, and everyone across all sorts of organizations involved in this field that Queens has just been dropping the ball really badly on transparency and communication. And I, you know, we'd all been hearing about stuff like rumors for a long time. And there was just very little that was actually accessible to students unless they sort of knew someone who knew someone who had been given a copy of something by a professor. So we wanted to centralize everything and get the information out there so students could make informed decisions about their education. Absolutely. And broad question, but what are some of the major concerns the group has about these cuts and the way the university has been handling it so far? The lack of um, communication just in general, but particularly, I mean, with students, it's one thing, but also one of the things that really concerns us is the fact that staff and faculty often don't know what's going on or aren't being consulted, which means students looking to have their questions answered can't even ask their professors they can't you know i can't go and ask my department administrator about this i can't go ask a professor for details because they often have as much information as we do and it's just you know everyone is sort of working in the dark which makes it you know it's 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 scary for everyone students don't know what's going to happen to their programs people don't know what's going to happen to their jobs um I mean, it, it started as a student thing, but now a lot of the communication we do and a lot of the people we engage with are also their like staff and faculty because it's it's actually been quite, it's been quite good and sort of uplifting to see how much solidarity there has been between staff and faculty and undergrads and graduate students and even, even faculty members sort of coming together around this issue. Um, which has been nice. It, it would be nice if it weren't under these circumstances, but that's that's been a positive, definitely. Um, I guess some of the other concerns is that we worry that the messaging and the narrative that is being constructed around these budget cuts is not an accurate representation of Queens's finances. They put 20 million away last year towards a new building, and they're putting another 35 million out of there. Um, investment windfalls this year towards a new building as well. And, you know, in two years where they're saying that they're in this, you know, this existential crisis where, you know, they're threatening hundreds of layoffs and at the town hall, they're saying, you know, the university might close and all that, even if it's just rhetorical, the fact that they're putting away tens of millions into new capital projects, like while they're also pushing this, it's just, there's a disconnect somewhere. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a question of values, I think, mm -hmm. whether the importance of capital projects, whether the sort of advancement of growing is more important than maintaining the quality of education currently. That's one of the things that we're we're uh, concerned about. I mean, there there are all sorts of threads to this. I mean, we're worried about what's going on in Ontario as well, but that's sort of I'd say beyond our pay grade, but obviously we're not being uh, we're not being paid anyway. But that is that is like beyond our reach at the moment. So the least we can do is address the issues at Queens, which is a university that is being uniquely affected, um, despite you know inflation and COVID and 
and tuition freeze being something that affects all Ontario universities. Um, Queen's is portraying itself at least as being in a worse state than the rest of them. And if that's true, we would like to know why. And if it's not true, we would like to know why it's being presented that way. Yeah. And you got into the Senate meeting there for a moment. I was wondering if you could speak a bit more to that. I know posts have already been made with concerns that the presentations were perhaps less than helpful. I was wondering if you could get into some of the details from yesterday. Yeah. So, I mean, on the one hand, I appreciate that more information is now being presented from the provost's office. Um, you know, those some of those numbers were not numbers we had access to before. There's a page now on the Provost website where it has all the presentations um, that have been given and all sort of the latest updates. And even mentioned that they were considering doing like a monthly newsletter. And that, that would be good from a strategy perspective, just for, I mean, like from their perspective, giving people insight into what their general strategic goals are. Mm-hmm. But it is still lacking in a couple ways. Um, one of them would be that a lot of stuff is deflected to the faculties. Um, uh, the ASSIS assembly on Monday, which was billed, and I think it's still on their page, on their social media pages as a discussion period with Dean Crow and Provost Evans. Dean Crow arrived, sat in the audience, and then said that she wasn't taking any questions. And then so half the meeting was... Provost Evans saying, well, that's really a question for Dean Crow and everyone turning around and looking at her. And then there was an awkward silence for about 10 seconds. Then we moved on to the next question. But as to the other thing about the helpfulness of the presentation, a lot of it seems to be stressed around targeting arts and science as this big, like, revenue draining, like, you know, look at it compared to all these other faculties with its huge, scary bar into the negatives and all the other faculties are just like dipping into the negatives but it nothing was really addressed by Provost Evans in the meeting that acknowledged the fact that ArtSci is massive. It is not the same as other faculties in that there is such a breadth of subjects addressed in it. You know, this, you know, Smith School of Business, like you've got business, you've got engineering, you've got health sciences, law, education, like those are very specific, but arts and sciences covers a large sort of portion of of human knowledge so it's it's not easy to run and it's not easy to centralize and it is so large that when you divide sort of like what we did was just look at the numbers that he gave in the presentation and then tried to see what it was proportional to the actual size of each faculty which is up on our page right now And when you do that, when you divide the projected deficit by things like the number of faculty members or the number of undergrad students, you realize that actually arts and science doesn't even have like the largest deficit per undergrad student or per faculty member, which, you know, raises questions about why it's being presented that way, why the issue of the size of arts and science isn't really coming into play and how it's being presented. You know, people aren't really talking about cuts to the Smith School of Business, but it's actually, you know, on a per student and per staff member basis. So proportional to its size, it's a, it, the cuts that are necessary to get it into equilibrium are going to be um, proportionally greater to those in arts and science. Um, and that's just not a subject that's been discussed because if people start discussing that or people start discussing equilibrium in engineering, then all of a sudden you've got all the faculties together concerned about how this is being addressed. And that would make it significantly harder um, for the provost office to push cuts through if everyone's objecting. And so it's this sort of this divide and conquer technique, which is a little concerning um, to be getting from your your university's administration. Ethan also spoke to the specific targeting of the Faculty of Arts and Science. And there are all sorts of things that have made it clear that it's targeted to arts and science, but it's also it's also so complicated because within arts and science, there are also all sorts of political and ideological things going on in terms of sort of a moving away from the humanities and emphasizing the 
sciences, side of arts and science. People will say, like, what's the point of a music degree or what's the point of a gender studies or a classics or any of those degrees? And, you know, it isn't necessarily mainstream, but they're also, it's not like people are trying to expand those departments actively. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to maintain them. And it would be a little weird for a university with sort of a reputation as a prestigious liberal arts college like Queens, that is Queens, has been Queens reputation for a long time. It would be a little strange for us to not have a music program. Like that would, that would look really weird. Um, it would look weird if we didn't study, if we didn't have, you know, gender studies, if we didn't have, you know, we already barely have language courses. Mm. Um, it's, it's sort of moving away from specialized knowledge to, to generalized sort of, you know, they're trying to increase class sizes, they're reducing the number of electives. So it's everyone's gonna have to take sort of, if you, to fill out your 120 credits, you're gonna end up taking more courses from outside of your department, which then means if you want to do graduate studies, you'll be at a disadvantage compared to other universities. It's just not, it's not a good model. And all of that is, that stuff is inside arts and science. Like that's not really something that the provost has direct control over and so it's this it's this sort of multi-leveled issue because on a faculty level and then on a university level and then also because of the tuition freeze and all that stuff also on a provincial level so it's it's complicated like no one's pretending it's not which is why it's all the more important that students are informed and since they're not being informed someone had to do it yeah i mean a lot of the role of of course, the page and the group you're in um, has just been spreading the word to students and consolidating that information, um, getting it out there. But I was curious, just because you mentioned there that a lot of decisions are up to faculty. I was wondering if you are having discussions on the faculty level about how they're handling this as opposed to just with the provost. And uh, I'm sure a lot of faculty feel yeah. like they have their hands tied, but I was wondering if you could speak to that a bit. I mean, our information, because of arts and science is a, is a strange, another reason arts and science is a strange faculty is that department heads in arts and science are part of the faculty union, which they are not in other faculties, which are more centralized because they're so small, you can have a very top down approach. And so it's created this weird structure where you have people in management positions who identify more with the staff and sort of general faculty than with management, which is why you get so many leaks and so much resistance coming out of arts and science, I think, at least partially. And so we just, one of the reasons that we have, like generally a lot of our content has been more focused on, I mean, the general level, but then if we do talk about a faculty, it's almost always arts and science. And it's just because there's more information that we can access. Mm -hmm. Like there are going to have to be, I think, I think it looked like 11 million or something in cuts to the to commerce in the next two years or so. But no one knows what any of that looks like. There's not been a leaked memo that says exactly what that's what that's going to say. No one has, you know, the dean of the school up on stage refusing to speak or sort of commenting quietly that they haven't been renewing contracts. So it's just it's very hard to get our hands on that information. And that goes back to the transparency thing. And uh, sort of to finish us off here, I was wondering if you could speak a bit to your next steps in tackling this issue as students. One of them is, you know, increased increased awareness in the alumni population. That's something that we really wanted to work on because so we, we do get like alumni who hear about this. They've been reaching out to departments. They've been reaching out to professors who had taught them. They've been reaching out to us. We, we get a lot of alumni trying to speak to us about it because they can't really get much out of the school. And you know, we know for a fact, at least according to according to the arts and science alumni I've spoken to, and it was mentioned as well at the ASSIS meeting, like they haven't even been sort of approached by the university saying arts and science is in danger. Your donation could could sort of protect the faculty, protect the programs that you graduated from. And so um, alumni just don't don't know in a lot of cases they sort of see that a lot of them saw like news articles like queens is going to close and they're like oh god and they write about that and then they get told queens isn't going to close and they're like oh it's all right then but in reality things aren't all right mm -hmm. but 
it takes a little bit of digging, a little bit of talking about it to realize what the actual issues are. And if the university isn't going to initiate that conversation with alumni, someone has to, but it's a lot harder for someone outside the organization to reach, reach out to alumni. Um, so alumni is is one of our things. Um, the AMS assembly next week is going to be interesting. I know a lot of groups are are intending to be there since the AMS has opened it up and invited everyone who's involved in the university or the community to come. So you know, graduate students, graduate employees, faculty, staff, people you know, people who aren't AMS fee paying members are all welcome to come. They're just sort of hosting that forum. Um, so I think that event is going to be, that's something we're organizing around and that's something that we hope will be informative. Um, but I suspect much like the town hall in December and the town hall or the assets meeting this week, a lot of the answers are going to end up being, you know, that's something for the, that's something for the faculty to, that's something for the faculty to deal with. I am worried that that sort of deflection is going to is going to make the meeting less productive than it could be. Since my discussion with Ethan, both Provost Evans and Dean Crow have pulled out of the AMS meeting they were planning to attend this evening. However, the Queen's community is hopeful that more information will be shared at the Arts and Science Faculty Board meeting on January 26th. I think that'll be the first big uh, meeting between faculty and the Dean, in which the Dean is required to answer questions uh, since a lot of this stuff happened. But yeah, so I think that will also be an interesting event and potentially more informative than the AMS assembly. That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for tuning in to CFRC's local news programming. Brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the local journalism initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and the Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. To hear more from our guests, be sure to head to our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca. Stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next. What Will I Wear offers the best in vintage, funky, one-of-a-kind treasures, clothing, accessories, and a fabulous selection of jewels, vintage and new. Find the cutest purse, the most dashing of hats and sunglasses, everything to complete your individual look. What Will I Wear has it all. They can dress you from top to bottom. Find your new fashion fave at What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street in Kingston. Visit their new location and follow them on Facebook to keep up to date with what's in store at What Will I Wear.